This week on Inside the Ropes, we take on a little round table format with the three CEOs of the major bodies in Australia as they plot the way forward for golf. And we'll chat to actor, author, TV personality Andrew Datto about his love of golf and the sports partnership with Apia. It's that time of the week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 222 of Inside the Ropes. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager for Golf Australia, impersonating the late, great Richie Benno there, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today, the feature of which is the round table. We did this a couple of months ago, and it went quite well. This time we're going to get... Gavin Kirkman from the PGA, Karen Lund from the WPGA and James Sutherland from Golf Australia all in to talk to us through talk, sorry talk us through the upcoming national strategy for golf. It's serious stuff but it's hugely important and the good thing is for once the governing bodies are all aligned on this. We're also chatting to Andrew Datto as I mentioned before and to help me through it. Welcome Golf Australia high performance director and regular guest Matt Cutler. Hello, Blakey. I, uh, I'm just still the manager. I haven't taken over uh, or been given a promotion yet, but uh, very happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, what's happening in the world of golf this week, Matt? Uh, I guess it's the FedEx Cup, which is uh, kind of taking our attention. I did watch a little bit of the end of the, the BMW, which Patrick Cantlay from the United States won in a playoff, a very popular win given that uh, his opponent in that playoff was Bryson DeChambeau. Um, a good win by Cantlay, who's, you know, they were calling him the Iceman, weren't they? Yeah, it was a super win. I watched the the highlights package last night and he, his putting was the key. It was actually really, it was a tale of two ways to play the game. You had Bryson, who was just bombing it as far as he could and uh, having his, his own battles chipping and, and putting from anywhere he could. And uh, a Cantlay, who played a more traditional game and, uh, and, and hold pretty much everything. I think he... Uh, I think he had the most strokes gained on the greens from anyone uh, in around the last 20 years. So since they started taking the shot link data, he's broken the record. He gained 14.5 shots on the rest of the field across four days, which is, if you think about it, a bit over three and a half, three and a half shots in every round just with his putter, which is pretty handy. I think he averaged 134 feet of putts made, which if you if you think back on some of your rounds, you know, Anything over 100 feet is pretty handy, isn't it? Well, I think they said he holds six or seven 20-plus footers for the week, which which is phenomenal in its own right. But what, watching the highlights package, it was actually – they actually showed him on every green. He was just holding that many putts, but uh, kept himself in it, and and it really was a battle of two guys that I don't think are too friendly. Yeah, it was it was kind of match play, and there was a, an interesting moment on the 14th uh, – DeChambeau was about to hit his approach to the 14th green and he actually asked uh, Cantlay to stop walking, uh, which kind of uh, – there wasn't a lot of love uh, shown between them at the end, was there? I, I just wonder whether that caused a little bit of friction. Yeah, it was certainly a, a frosty handshake and I, I have read subsequently – I mean, they couldn't be two more polar opposites, Cantlay – openly said he, he doesn't speak much and, and he likes to listen and, and when he when he does speak he's thought about it and um, perhaps you couldn't say the same for Bryson. No and uh, look they're playing uh, the FedEx Cup or the Tour Championship is this week in Atlanta and the FedEx Cup bonus system comes into play they've got 60 million US on the line which I have said before I think is an obscene amount of money I think that um, all fair play to the golfers who who are the best across the whole year uh, to to get their their pay up, but it's just in the current environment with COVID and the way things are going around the world. I, I don't necessarily think it's a great look. What, what are your thoughts on that, Cuts? Nah, it doesn't um, doesn't sit well with me. I mean, <laughs> COVID COVID has stopped so many things, and if we just isolate it to our sport, which which is what we're on here to talk about, the the pathway to is have been shut down and affected because there's no money and they, and they can't run them. And then the rich essentially get richer. And and I guess it highlights where we just have to do a good job as we bring players through our programs and, and, and people around the world 
in in making sure they're balanced good people so that they can do do a lot of good with their wealth and and i know so many in the game do but um yeah it's a it's 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 quite the conundrum seeing wealthy people get even wealthier when when a lot of the world is struggling the rich get richer pretty well put now cam smith is the only australian who made it through to the top 30 in the tour championship and and rightly so he's actually finished fifth on the fedex cup points table which means that he's the number five seed Cantlay, of course, is the number one, and they've got this ridiculous handicap system which was brought in because they didn't like the fact that they had two winners, uh, the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup winner, um, on the under the previous system. So they brought in a, this handicap system now which allows them to have just one winner, but Patrick Cantlay is going to start at 10 under par. He's going to, some, there's going to be people in that field giving him 10 shots head start. Cam Smith is starting at 5 under. Um, so he's going to spot him uh, five shots. What do you make of that system? I, I don't like it at all. Yeah, it's. I think the whole thing's a bit contrived, to be honest. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean the the purists in golf, and and there's a lot of us on here would would say that the the men's golf season stopped when the last major was played, and it was great to watch uh, some women's events in the UK recently that that had meaning. And I just wonder how much meaning these events have got to people. I, I might be wrong and uh, and people love watching it, but um, I don't know, 28 under at um, contrived events, it, it doesn't doesn't grasp my attention as much as uh, real golf might. It, it was interesting. I'm not sure whether you read this, but Cam Smith was asked what, what he'd feel or what he'd go out and buy or what he'd want to do if he won $15 million. US, which is the first prize this week, and uh, he he just he's a very grounded person, Cam, as you know, and he just sort of said, "Oh well, I might go and get some more fishing gear or something." I don't know, you know. He's he he had a it was a really good answer, I think. I, I, I agree, and it just goes to show, I mean, how, how do you comprehend that amount of money? I mean, there, there's so much good you could do with it, and I'm sure if a guy like Cam won, um, a lot of people would benefit from it. But yeah, I mean. How do you comprehend what you do with fifteen mil US too? Cam Davis uh, missed out. He finished tied twenty ninth in the BMW in Maryland, uh, which put him in at number thirty seven on the points table. Needed to be in the top thirty. Mark Leishman finished forty second in the in the table, so he he's going home as well. And Matty Jones forty seventh. Uh, lots of action on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, cuts with. Um, Obviously, Lucas Herbert getting through last week. He's already got enough points from the Corn Ferry Tour Finals, but they had the Nationwide Children's Championship in Columbus. Uh, Lucas eventually getting there after going to the wrong Columbus, which was a classic. Uh, but there was Curtis Luck bobbed up there, tied 16th. Yeah, Curtis played his way onto the PGA Tour a couple of years ago in the same manner um, through the finals. And uh, tied 16th means he's uh, in with a shot to, to do the same again. He'll need a... Uh, a good finish uh, well inside the top 10 for the third event, uh, but certainly got an opportunity to get back on the PGA Tour. And, and Brett Druitt, who's uh, who's already on that tour, franked that form with a, with a T22, I believe. So Curtis is now 24th. So top 25 get a card. So, uh, you know, one more good performance and he could be going back to the PGA Tour. What, what have you made of Curtis's progress? He seems to, to me to struggle on some of the, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour doesn't really suit him that much with the, extreme low scoring and the the need to smash the ball and bomb it out there yeah curtis uh curtis is a golfer that likes to see shapes um oh, it's an easy thing to say but he's, he's more of an old school golfer um that's that's a throwaway line but um he shapes the ball left right low high um and the tougher better golf courses will suit him more um he's a player that I would like to see on the PGA Tour where they'll play a few more tougher golf courses and, and it, you don't need 25 under to win um, because growing up where he's grown up and the way he plays, um, he'll be suited to playing tougher tougher courses with uh, with tougher conditions. And speaking of good young Australian players, Minwoo Lee in the European Masters in Switzerland, what a, what a amazing-looking golf course that is in Cran-sur-Sierre. I think it is. Uh, tied 21st. Uh, Minwoo is going pretty well, Matty. He, he's 10th on the race to Dubai standings, the point standings in Europe. So he's also going to have an opportunity for a big earner 
later this year. Yeah, he is. And and I guess this is the uh, the difference between the PGA Tour and the European Tour is that um, you've got a lot of young players in position to create a career for themselves. And, and Min was one of them. Um, obviously, Rasmus Hogard, who won that event, is uh, doing a great job there and, and also a young player. But you've got guys like Bryden McPherson over there who's obviously been the form player in Australia over our summer just gone, um, who's trying to get himself back into international golf and and the European Tour creates that opportunity. One, a couple more results worth uh, worthy of mention here. The Japan Golf Tour, Anthony Quayle finished tied 13th in the Sansan KBC event. And on the Ladies European Tour, the Scafto Open in Sweden, a couple of excellent performances there. One by Whitney Hillier, who, who's been playing really well recently. She finished tied 8th there. And Steph Kiriakou, who's just had a excellent season in Europe, uh, finished tied 10th again. I believe that Steph Kiriakou is number two on the Euro- Ladies European Tour money list and points table or whatever it is. Uh, he, she certainly had a, an excellent year. I'm wondering whether she – I'm not sure whether you know – Maddie, but is she planning to try and get over to tour school in America or what's she what's she gonna do, do you know? Not sure on Steph's movements at the moment. I think she'd like to try and win that uh order of merit on the ladies European tour, but uh Atia Titico from Thailand's a, a fair way ahead mm. there. And and Whitney Hillier, she's she's really found some form in the last couple of months and had a runner up in one of the Rose series events a few weeks ago and, and she's continued uh with a with a tied eighth uh, there in Sweden. So she's been playing really well, which is great to see. And you are keen on the Solheim Cup. You, you mentioned uh, that that's coming up this week, which uh, a lot of people in Australia don't don't know much about it, but Europe versus the United States team format, uh, big crowds, and it's a hell of an event. Oh, it's a super event to watch. It's uh, I think any time you get match play on TV, it's it's just great because it's just, one-on-one golf and look on paper you'd, you'd suggest that the u.s are, are going to be fairly dominant but uh, it's obviously not played on paper but with with nelly and danielle kang and lexi and uh nelly's sister jess in that team it's it's a pretty formidable lineup that they've got but um there's some informed players on the european tour emily Pedersen's probably the most informed player there who uh who recently did pretty well at uh, the tokyo olympics so It'll be great to watch. I think the Europeans, a bit like in the Ryder Cup, the Europeans tend to always lift a bit more and uh, and get on better as a team. So, uh, yeah, I'll certainly be watching a lot of that this weekend. Well, Maddie, it's, it must be my sense of humour, but I, I get quite a bit of amusement out of first tee announcers at golf tournaments because there are some weird and wonderful names that uh, come out and, and they can be very difficult to pronounce at times and there have been a few blues made over the years. As we go to a break... Let's have a listen to the first tee announcer talking about Hideki Matsuyama at the BMW Championship last weekend and see if you can pick the error. First on the tee, current Open Championship winner from Sunday, Japan, Hideki Matsuyama. Well, we'll, so we'll add that to the Masters title. Masters. Next year. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And, Maddie, did you pick up the error by the... I did, I did, and maybe maybe there's something there for the for the Omen punters next year at the Open Championship with Hideki. Hideki at the Open. Now, it's been a very interesting week in the golf industry because, on the one hand, you've got golfers in certain parts of the country screaming out for a game. I know in New South Wales there some restrictions around geography there and because of the COVID outbreak. And in Victoria, we're completely shut out. So that's got people quite anxious. But on, at the other end of the scale, we've got a bit of history happening in the formation of the first ever Australian golf strategy. It's going to be a document that covers all the branches of the industry, not just the one. And part of the process was the Australian golf strategy webinar held at the end of last week. Um, it kind of sounds a bit dry, Matty, but in actual fact, there were more than 200 people online. They came from all branches of the industry, quite a few people from outside the tent as well. We had media executives, sporting consultants. Jeff Ogilvie spoke, you know, extremely well. Colin Carter, a former AFL commissioner, spoke 
superbly, I thought. Um, what did you make of it, Matty, as we, you know, prepare to get some of the CEOs to talk about this? I loved it. And and as staff, we were lucky enough to, to sit on and even participate in some of the breakout rooms. And it was it was just a great message from everyone that spoke. And and the I think the best part about it was that there were people from who we'd consider people outside of our game that that came in with a different perspective and and just gave us something else to think about. So no, I loved it. Well, we've got the key players uh, here with us. So let's introduce them. Karen Lunn, head of the WPGA, welcome. Uh, James Sutherland, head of the Golf Australia, welcome. And Gavin Kirkman, head of the PGA, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thanks, Blakey. No, thanks. Thanks, Blakey. I wanted to ask you all this question to start with um, because it was a big two days. Uh, I'm wondering whether you came out of that more optimistic about golf. I'll start with you, Karen. A hundred percent. I think that um, while we weren't involved in in the conversations in the breakout rooms, we've had a lot of feedback about from those who have. Um, and I think that the general message is that I'm hearing is that everyone that was there is positive. So if there's positive feedback from everyone that was on the on the webinar, then it only gives us, um, I guess, the conviction to keep moving forward and, and doing what we're doing. But I think, you know, 100%, I think that we all know that, um, you know, we have to work closer together. And and as I said, during the conference, um, you know, the WPGA and the PGA have had some fantastic outcomes from the work we've done together. Um, and it's only gonna it's only gonna keep moving forward with um, you know a closer relationship with with GA and the PGA and all of the other indus- industry bodies. Gav, you as well. Yeah, I I, um, I thought it was a great start, Blake here, to see the industry get together and and for Golf Australia to be able to um, you know I think sell the strategy that it was a work in progress to involve and bring everyone along for the journey. Um, to develop a strategy is really important. But like Karen said, some of the feedback we 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 got from the breakout groups and and the speakers, the messages that were were being told, I think just reaffirm what we're doing is right. But to to get everyone speaking and not just to hear from from James or Karen or myself or our respective boards to to see everyone together, I think that was the first. Um, key statement that was made. Our job now is to continue to, to bring everyone along. Um, there were emerging themes and we know that change has to happen. So a great start and I'm very optimistic. James? Yeah, well, I think um, agree with what both Karen and Gavin have said there, Martin. And um, I think it was actually, I, I sort of felt it was a big test for us. We, we you know, this sort of, the degree of difficulty of putting together a a strategy across an industry is um, is very difficult, and up until the uh, the webinar, we had done a lot of work behind the scenes. A lot of research had been done, a lot of interviews and and workshops with stakeholders, including um, surveys amongst the golf industry. I think over, nearly ten thousand people had been involved one way or another, and we'd had a whole lot of sort of themes that had come back, and we tried to articulate. I guess the feedback we were getting, and so this was a real opportunity to test that um, in that environment with leaders from across the industry, and and that was one of the really pleasing things I think for all of us was that there was nothing but affirmation, clearly questions and and challenges about how we do it, but there was a really strong affirmation of these um, themes that are that have come out of it so far, and. And they give us great cause for, I guess, confidence to, to move forward from here. So, James, there's a follow-up process, isn't there, where you, you collect uh, all the feedback that you got from the stakeholders and, and people in that that webinar. And then you, you're going to go on a, a roadshow around Australia or, or as much as you can in a COVID environment to, to talk to, to, to more people outside. It was sort of a, it was a bit of a funny one, really, because by virtue of even though ideally we were going to be face to face with this conference, the fact that we did it um, digitally um, meant that we could actually have more people involved from all over the country, and um, and I think one of the learnings for for all of us in that is uh, to say, well, perhaps as we go to this next stage of um, developing the strategy and and being inclusive about it, we can go. You know, far far more far reaching um, to to clubs and facilities and um, all of our respective memberships uh, to have people involved in that process and get 
uh, feedback from them. So I think that's, and, and, you know, my experience tells me that the best strategies are not only led from the top down, but they come from the bottom up and people feel included and empowered by it. And, and I think we're throwing ourselves that challenge in this next stage of thinking about how we can have multiple uh, online uh, webinars, but at the same time, as best we can also get face-to-face with town hall meetings or what have you. But in this current COVID environment, obviously, that's um, very difficult. I thought taking part in the in a couple of days, some of the best things to come out of it were, were some ideas from the people that sat outside of golf. And I think it's been said before that golf has spoken to itself too much in the past. Perhaps to, to Karen and Gavin, what were some of the, the key takings from you, from the people that sat outside of golf that, that perhaps we hadn't thought of before as an industry? I think that um, in terms of um, the research that, that was commissioned um, by the AGIC that was done by the Nature Group, I think that from that, there was so much positive stuff to come out as well. It was it was a really good, uh, I guess, snapshot of where we're at. But I guess from our side is that there's a lot of women out there that do want to play golf, that they have an affinity to golf, um, they want to try it, but perhaps they're not uh, that keen to try it within the particular um, a, a regular club environment. So I think the alternative facilities, I think that's a really great opportunity for, for golf. Um, obviously, you know, we have a lot of them around Australia and, and perhaps we haven't paid them enough attention. And, you know, the research tells us that so many people are playing golf at these facilities, uh, particularly women. So I think that's an area that we really need to focus on and then work out a pathway. Then where do they go? They they might go to putt-putt or they might hit a few balls, but then how do they get into the, into the club environment, you know, if they don't want to... Um, um, if they want a more fun and relaxing and, and social environment. So I think that's that's a key takeaway for us and, and obviously a real positive. Yeah, for sure. And just knowing that that it's not straight to the golf course is, is your one and only option um, when you're taking up the game. Gavin, what about your thoughts? Yeah, probably just to continue, I think the, the alternate formats was something that, you know, really got got good discussion and and hopefully there was a lot of people listening and, and digesting the, that information, you know, from, as we know, the driving ranges, um, um, mini golf and, and golf simulators are very important. There's a lot of people entering our sport through that pathway. I think the other thing was change. You know, it really highlighted that we do have to change and that's going to come from strong leadership and and it's got to start with um, you know James and Karen and myself but we've got to create and be open for change and, and let people know change is going to be good and and when we're talking change it was really again highlighted that we're we're overregulated we have too many competitions we have too many rules and and the doors aren't open you know as Josh Madden said, you know, he would love to have a sign that everyone is welcome. But, you know, it'd be great if at every club or facility around the country that everyone is welcome. And then I spoke a little bit about experiences because if we're going to compete and it's a very competitive sport environment, let's create experiences that could be from events like all the other sporting codes, but we can create experience within our sport that can be golf-related, but it can be food and beverage-related. It can just be... You know, what we've said, it can be fun and cool. It can be family-orientated. So I think we've all got to really open our minds and we've got to bring the industry along. And there is a lot of traditionalists out there, and I'm a traditionalist golfer. Um, I've been around, but I'm, I'm really excited about what we've heard. And, you know, we've got the people within our industry that can create and, and drive change. So I think that's that's very important to us. Yeah, Josh Madden from the Wembley Golf Club in WA, I think, uh, who was one of the really interesting speakers, a club that's really has opened the doors and and uh, attracted a, a lot of new people. I wanted to ask you, Karen, you mentioned the, the nature research already, and James, you spoke about it in your speech, but uh, the actual potential of golf in Australia, uh, I think, James, you said that it's, it might be a bit bigger than what we thought. You were quoting that... The, in the nature research, 5.8 million people are positively disposed to golf, uh, but not yet engaged. So there's your potential right there. And the number of club members is, say, 380,000. So I think Colin Carter said, if, if, if my uh, memory serves me correctly, that he thought that we could, you know, you could potentially get three and four more times more golfers if, we get, if you get this right. James? 
Yeah, I think that's right. Mark. I mean, I, I, I think I said at one stage that, you know, what are the real dawning moments for me um, was to see that research and to see that the, the 380,000 club members who are obviously highly valued and a very important part of our golf community, that, that 380,000 is less than 5% of the people that are positively disposed to golf, either engaged in golf or potentially engaged in golf now. Um, that's a small portion of that market. Gavin's spoken to those alternative formats and people that, that hit balls, um, mini golf, um, go to driving ranges and what have you who may not be members of golf clubs. Then there's the round players and then there's sort of young people and families that have a positive attitude to golf but haven't yet um, got to the stage of playing. And and I think what I'm really keen for us to continue uh, along the lines of the, the conversation is to make sure that we all know and understand that this is a growth strategy. It's not just a strategy to protect the game and, and to hold it in. Um, the reasonable shape that it's in right now, it's a, it's a growth strategy and any good growth strategy um, at its core will consider its existing market and ensure that it um, supports that and, and tries to grow that. And obviously that's around club membership and, and, and round players and, and others, but it's also then looking at other aspects of our market and trying to target uh, the way in which we can bring new people to the game. We can tailor our offering to them and make the game more attractive. And to Karen's point, you know, a lot of that is about um, making sure that you know we are welcome, as um, as has been talked about at Wembley, for example, but but also safe and 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 valued. And and that's the first step. It's it's difficult, as we all know, sometimes to walk into a into a private golf club and feel that you're part of the furniture. That doesn't happen naturally. Whether you're um, no matter where you've come from, but um, we, we need to do better at that. But but I think there's also this opportunity to move people along the spectrum and and to be clear about what the pathway is. Uh, everyone's journey is different, and um, where everyone stops and, and finishes and starts again is going to be different as well. But to understand that and to make sure we're servicing and supporting that. Karen, I, I wanted to ask you um, in relation to the. Uh, inclusive nature or the lack of an inclusive nature, I guess, in, in some parts of golf, you, you made a very strong statement right at the end of the, of the webinar the other day about how you were sick of, you know, ageism, sexism, every ism we could possibly name uh, bobbing up, you know, making people feel uncomfortable and, and walking away from golf. And you felt, you know, you, you did say that you, you thought that uh, it was changing. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I suppose my golf journey has has gone from when I was a kid growing up, when I was 12, um, you know, playing all over Australia and then travelling, obviously, internationally and, you know, seeing a lot of this in my life. And and obviously it's just very, very frustrating. And I think that that's the one thing that, that opened my eyes when I came back and I retired from playing, um, that, that this still existed in Australia and really nothing much had changed. Um you know, it was still how it was 30 or 40 years ago, yet we were losing golfers and losing club members. Um, and some people just weren't, you know, they weren't happy to put their hand up and say we have problems in our sport. And, um, you know, I've just been butting my head against brick walls and I guess my frustration came out a little bit uh, at the end. But um, it is good to see that that finally people are actually starting to realise, well, actually, yeah, people are playing a lot of golf through COVID, but that's one thing that that came out of the, of the conference as well. That, you know, we can't hang our hat on COVID because more people are playing golf. Our game has been struggling for a long, long time. Um, and it's about time it was addressed. And, you know, I take my hat off to James and his team, especially with the survey that was sent out. And as James said, more than 10,000 people um, replied to the survey. Those questions weren't skewed to give um, Golf Australia or any of us a pat on the back. They were very open questions. Uh, just like, and, and everyone was um, encouraged, to be honest, you know, what are the issues with golf? And I think some of the feedback has, has illustrated that clearly there's been issues. You know, golf isn't doing well regardless of what anybody tells you, especially for girls and women. It's in it's in dire, dire times. So um, as Gav said, change needs to happen. And, and obviously we're all very open to that. We all understand the, the issues that we have. So I think that, you know, for, certainly from our side, we're all on board. Like I think it was interesting just following on from what Karen said there. I thought in the nature research, they did a really interesting um, segment study of, of different groups within the golf market from 
they're not yet engaged all the way through to the other end of the spectrum, sort of rusted on members. But but throughout, in all of those categories, the thing that came through strongly is the reason why people play golf is to enjoy the game and, and to have fun playing with it. And Jeff Ogilvie was really strong on this. In fact, he spoke about the three Fs, uh, fun, family and formats. And if you unpack that a little bit, um, there's that 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 theme or undercurrent around enjoyment. Now, you know, maybe we just take ourselves a little bit too seriously, and we need to loosen up about the game because they all flow into each other. There, um, the the fun and enjoyment of playing the game, um, being with being with friends and being with family. That's all part of it, and and encouraging family to the next generation to to be a part of the game is important. And then. At, at the other end there on the formats, um, Jeff spoke about, uh, you know, too many competitions in, and yeah. he, he contrasts his experiences in Australia with uh, his experiences in, in the US where everything was a lot more casual and, and you play with mates, maybe have a couple of bets or just have a bit of fun. You know, sometimes it will be um, a lot more relaxed than we might ordinarily see. And, and, you know, we're all one way or another traditionalists as well and understand all of that, but um, you can't have it both ways. And, and we need to think about um, people play, play the game in their leisure time and therefore they're looking for enjoyment and relaxation and fun. And, and I think that's something that we need to keep coming back to as, as we explore initiatives um, to further develop the strategy and grow the game. Yes, yeah, spot on, James. And I think uh, I really liked what Jeff spoke about. And he, and he talked about the fact that in Australia, we tend to play Stableford and, and one person wins for the day or maybe three if there's different grades. Um, but if, if we go out there and have fun and play with our friends and enjoy not only the social aspect of it and, and have a little bet between us, maybe one or two people in every group actually leaves having had a win and enjoyed the game and, and the pressure of playing competition golf isn't there. But uh, Gav, to you, I guess the traditional pathway for a golfer might have been to take up the game and we would have seen it as a success for them to become a golf club member, but that doesn't have to be the case. So long as they they remain in the game um, at any path along uh, their journey, it's a success. So I guess the PGA members that, that are front and centre at all these venues are going to be key to not only introducing them but keeping them in the game. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, um, when I come back to change, I think the change and, and for what James did with the um, the virtual conference, everyone's got to uh, uh, got to play a part in change. And I think you know to share that change across the industry. So you know where, as Karen said, the the PGA and the WPGA tour, we're we're collaborating. Golf Australia and the PGA collaborating. But I think we've got to challenge the whole industry and go outside and. And say, well, you know, what are the club boards doing um, to to help us grow this pathway and 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 adapt to change? What are the managers doing? You know, the the agronomy specialists that do a great job, but you know, can they have more freeway to make golf more fun out on course instead of some golf courses are are, are very difficult, you know, for for everyone to have the experience they need to have. And then, then I think um, we've got to look at uh, you know education because why we want to get, gain all this information and some of the great actions and outcomes from the conferences that, you know, there could be new programs, there could be different ways of um, creating golf experience and pathways. Matt, I think we've also got to make sure we all know we've got a part to play and that we don't duplicate, we become more efficient. And the funds that we do get, um, let's use them correctly to, to market and promote the game the right way. And I think what we've been doing is we've been stepping across each other's um, areas and expertise. We haven't worked as a collaborative um, industry. And I think this was the best part to change. But, you know, I've answered your question around the corner, but, yes, we've, we've got to... Um, the pathway is very different now. And, and I think, you know, from the PGA professionals, they're, they're across every part of the business, but they don't have an end game to, you know, the, the, the old traditional way is start playing, join a club, and then what happens? We'll just start playing and go and play and, and have an experience and have some fun. And if you want to join a club, um, 
there's always going to be that option. And that's where a lot of our golfers could end up. James, you had something to add there. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, I think Gavin's absolutely spot on. And where um, I think that's one of the really positive things is at our level, um, as administrators in the game, we are absolutely taking a 15-year uh, view of things. And I think that's the responsibility of the, the administrator. I've always felt that in sport, um, the administration should be thinking about the, the 10-year-old kid and what they will be doing in 15 years' time and and what their relationship with the sport, in our case, obviously, golf, will be in 15 years' time. Are we inspiring them to have a love and appreciation of the game, um, to create all sorts of different contact points and positive experiences such that in 15 years' time when they're independent and they make their own decisions, that they are engaged in, in the game. And, and, and to be really... Um, Frank about it. I don't believe, and Colin Carter spoke to this. I don't believe that golf clubs committees are taking anywhere near enough time to think about the fifteen-year view of um, their membership, but also, um, as Colin spoke about, the view from outside of their gates, um, the responsibility that they have, and we all have um, as custodians of the game to make it better tomorrow than it is today. Um, certainly. Gavin and Karen and myself have, have made a collective a commitment to um, the fact that we are servants of the game, the sport, um, and we see ourselves as custodians. But I think that um, it's something that, as I talked about before, bottom-up strategy as well as top-down strategy, we need to engage with um, member, members and club committees and what have you to think more broadly about how they can grow the game, not just look after their um, season to season, year to year um, interests and sustainability as a golf club. We've run out of time. Uh, thank you very much to all of you for coming in. I just noted, uh, I think it was one of the Foxtel. It's just great that uh, there's some collaboration happening now. Um, instead of fighting each other, the different bodies, and I noticed the Foxtel executive at the webinar the other day saying that she had to sign 11 different uh, contracts for television contracts to to do her coverage or, or a rights holder fee of the uh, of the local golf and you just think about that and how how difficult that must be I think there was a, a theme about making golf easier easier to work with um, so it's been great to, to see you collaborating like that and aligning like that of course the Australian Golf Centre is coming up soon as soon as we get out of these uh, COVID times for the time being. So James Sutherland, Gavin Kirkman and Karen Lund, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. Thanks all. Good to chat. Thanks, Blakey. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And Maddie. We say at Golf Australia that uh, golf is a game for life, and it's absolutely true. Uh, I've done a couple of stories just recently about people who are playing golf still competitive golf at a hundred years old i mean there's a woman at uh, sorry a man at bonnie doon called tommy sample who i've written about who's still playing i think three times a week last time i heard and uh, there's one coming up at royal adelaide in the next few weeks a club sort of contacted me about that and there's a woman called ann burton who plays out at concord in sydney's western suburbs who's still playing do you reckon you'll still be playing at 100 cuts uh It'd be nice, I, wouldn't I, it? I hope I'm still around at 100. Um, Bernard Langer shot his age this week too in a tournament, 64 at 64. Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, the reason I'm raising all this is, of course, because it's time we had a chat to Andrew Daddo, who's an ambassador for APIA, the Australian Pensioners Insurance Agency, which is a major partner of Golf Australia and a big deal in the golf industry generally. Uh, in particular, they're a major supporter of, of Getting to Golf Seniors, which is a fantastic program that you could find on our website golf.org.au it has an online component to it so you can just log on to the website create a profile for yourself and you get little videos so um and andrew Dado is the ambassador for that welcome andrew g'day matt g'day martin how are you going we're good we've got no golf uh, in this part of the world down in victoria <laughs> but I, I gather that you've still got something happening up there in uh Northern Beaches, Sydney. In the great state of New South Wales. Look, I promise you, it is the the secret to the mental health, I reckon, being able to 
get into the ocean and swim a bit and then play golf, you know, up to three times a week if it's possible. So I know that is probably rubbing you the wrong way at the very beginning. It's not where we'd like to start, but if I wasn't able to play a little bit of golf, I think I'd be quite headless. So I'm definitely feeling it for you guys south of the border. So you are the former host of The Golf Show. Uh, You have your own podcast. I believe you may even make your own putters. I mean, you are a full-on golf tragic, are you not? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my, my mates for years have called me a busted, just a busted golfing unit. I, look, I, I, I genuinely love the game. I mean, I really enjoy the, the golf show. I love talking to people on the, on golf, the, um, the podcast. And yes, I have made my own putter, two of my own putters out of decking timber off cuts. And, um, it just gives me great joy. It gives me great joy because I see other people being utterly confused about what I've got and then, and then when it works, they're like, what the hell? So there's there's something in that. So decking timber off cuts. Yeah. So Merbau, Merbau, you know, like your deck, your timber deck, it's like one of the hardest woods in the world. And so it doesn't dent at all. Um, and then you have to fill it with lead. So sinker, you melt a sinker and fill it with lead like that to get the weight just the way you want it. Mm, beautiful. What's the, what's, what's, what if I could just jump into that for a sec? What's, what's the feel like? Uh, Ball and putter. How does, orga- how does that come off? <laughs> it's organic. <laughs> it's um, it's actually really good. Uh, my nephew <laughs> had a crack with uh, with one yesterday, and um, no, it's it's actually it's you can really control how far you're going to hit it, um, and it's best to get it off the middle. So it's it's literally like a normal putter, um, but it looks nicer, con- considerably nicer. Andrew, I seem to recall playing golf with you once at the lakes i think pretty sure it was at the lakes and mm. uh in sydney and i'm pretty sure you told me that your dad whose name i think is peter he's into golf as well did he shape some holes or something like that i've got this memory of him maybe down on the bellerine peninsula somewhere yeah no he um dad was the he he put together the new lonsdale links so he yeah. he basically from a business point of view so he ran the business of putting that together and he also ran the business of putting together Moona links um, years ago. So his, and, um, and he plays right-handed golf with a left-handed grip. So you reckon I've got some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, uh, this new, uh, content series that you've done, Get Set Golf, which is obviously supported by Apia as well. Um, is it kind of a, a video sort of setup there? Yeah. So what, I mean, look, COVID crueled. Um, the nub of the idea, the, the first part of the idea was we we're going to have uh, masterclasses uh, with Nico Hearn and, and get some people and they win their chance to do that. And, they'll, and people have won that and they'll still get to do it. Um, and we'll talk to Nick about golf. But because of COVID, it was sort of been restricted to um, just me getting excited um, about people learning to play golf. And, and as I think we all know, it is, it's a brilliant game physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually like you know every like you are hitting every aspect of your capacity through 18 holes and so i just like the idea of people as they they head into their their later years to to get their chance to play and so that that's what we're doing well that's that's exactly it i mean you, you should tell that to clover more you know yeah i mean that <laughs> it's interesting um what's happening there at uh in that part of Sydney, and I know they've had a crack here on the northern beaches as well. Um, and Moore Park is one of the busiest courses in the country. So, um, but but this is that this is the thing is that that as you both know, and 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 given that you are both not getting to play golf, you know what you're missing. So, um, for us that it's still able to play, I mean, imagine those the mob in WA; they're just having a great time. Um, for those of you yeah. who have never got to play, to to actually just experience it. And to get out there, and just for, I mean, just for the exercise and, and the mental aspect, it, it is a brilliant, brilliant game, and and APR are all over it. They're right behind it. I always say that um, you know these councils who want to close down golf courses, they they're forgetting about all these people. You know, but people playing into their eighties, nineties, and we mentioned before, into the you know even to a hundred. I mean, it's um, for for a lot of these people, it's the only probably form of exercise that they can actually do. Yeah, and and the exercise is part of it. Then there's the social exercise as well. I mean, you get out there with your mates, or you meet new people, and you know, like, um, there's nothing quite like competition and you know pitting your wits and your skills against somebody else. And and golf is that game where you know if you're, you know, I can play 
Tiger, I'd probably beat Tiger at the moment. Actually, I, I'll say that confidently. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but um, oh, actually, it'd be funny when it, it, someone would say, I could beat you on one leg. Okay, Tiger, I reckon you could. Um, but it's sort <laughs> of because of handicaps, we can actually play each other and fair and square. And I loved what you were saying about the, you know, those, um, the centenar- centenar- centenarians, what would they, would they be? The fellow who won our, our um, centenary medal yeah. Centen- won, his, yeah. won his first medal in 1966 at the club and he hasn't won anything since. And then this year in the COVID gap, he won the centenary medal and he's 87, I think. So he's had so- a 50-year drought. <laughs> at least. That's fantastic. That's, like, that's a little bit like your footy team, Secura. They haven't won anything since 1966 either. Oh, yeah. you, don't have to remind, you don't have to remind me of that. I, I kind of sort of switch across onto the swans if I get get bored with St Kilda. Just come on, just come on board with the demons. Come on. Oh yeah, we'll have Bye. you. Yeah. Bye, um, Andrew. You, you you talked about the fact that some of the countries locked down, some of the countries still playing, but I guess that's the beauty of of this program in is that it can it can be rolling now, and it can be something that people can look forward to when golf does get up and running in those places where it isn't. Yeah, I think that's right. And and the other part to it, Matt, is that. You know, golf's a game you can fiddle around in your own home as well. You know, you can set up your own putting. You can chip into the couch or, you know, I saw Jeff Ogilvy on Instagram um, hitting balls into a uh, mattress. I'm guessing it wasn't his main mattress. But, you know. So the thing is, you know, it's one of those and, – and, and this is genuinely what I like about it is that it costs me sleep. You know, I think about it in the middle of the night. It costs me time. I'll walk past a, you know, probably where my more handsome older brother may stop in front of a mirror and, and look at himself. I'm standing there and look at my setup, you know, like, um, so it is really something that you can engage yourself with in lots of different ways in different places. Um, and still be part of it, even if you're not actually getting to play. I mean, I bet that you, you blokes are, you're putting around the house, you're chipping around the house, you know. So, and we can all do that regardless of, of where we are or, or how we are. Not sure whether I asked you, Andrew, where you caught the golf bug, actually. Uh, do you remember that? Um, I got it. We played with, we played when we were kids with mum and dad, and then they'd send us out, they'd drop us at a Devil Bend golf course in down in the Mornington Peninsula and come and pick us up five hours later where we, <laughs> God knows what we did. And then I think when it really, came to um, fruition was I'd play with my grandfather at Metropolitan. So he was a member there and he'd invite me to lunch on Sundays and I'd probably go twice a month actually when I was, you know, between 18 and 22 and have lunch with him and his old mates and then go and play with them. And they'd tell the same jokes at the same places. They'd wee in the same spots. They, you know, and I just really saw a genuine, and they were, they were hopeless, right? They, they, they were not great golfers, but they loved, loved the game. And I saw that winning 10 cents off your mates was as good as, it's literally as good as anything. So, um, I think that's when it really kicked in. Well, it's been great to talk to you, Andrew. And, uh, thank you very much to APIA for their support of, uh, these programs. If you're, if you're interested in getting into golf, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic time for, for some older people. Uh, to to do this with the lockdowns that are there. Um, so it's at www.golf.org.au backslash get into golf backslash seniors backslash. So or you could um, so that's the that's if you you can get it there at golf.org.au or you can get to apia.com.au and just check out their Apia Good Life Hub. Um, but it's a, look, it's a good program. And what a, I mean to be a golfing ambassador, it's like. I mean, I've got to do some pretty cool tough things gig. in my life. It's a tough gig. And yeah. <laughs> this is most definitely one of the best things I've been involved with. Well, thanks very much for joining us today and I uh, hope you're hitting them well. Good on you, Martin, and thanks to you, Matt. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And while I've got you here, Matty Cutler, uh, I was just interested to know in a, in a COVID environment with with the quarantine issues and border closures, you know, what's it like running a high-performance program? How difficult is it? And are the athletes able to really get much done at the moment? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, Blakey. It's, it's tough and it's different depending on what state you're currently in, which, which it's like for every citizen at the moment. So the, the states that are open and effectively still going, their high-performance athletes are still training and uh, 
competing at a club level, but but for them there's there's nothing really to compete in. Uh, domestically, events are being cancelled um, that they would compete against uh, their peers from other states at. And then you've got the the athletes from the the countries that are locked down that are that are really struggling to to train. Um, in Victoria, they can't play. Uh, in New South Wales, they can play uh, in in twos, as we know. But it, it's just very different. And I think the big thing for all of them is that, like any like anyone, but like any high performance athlete, they want to compete and they want to challenge themselves and and that's just not available to any of them regardless of what state they're currently in so what about louis dobler spent some time in the states um and and won a couple of events over there and kirsten rudgley similarly similarly in in europe uh those two were able to get away but not not normally it sort of sort of through the winter you'd, you'd have a, a bunch of people that you'd be taking away wouldn't you yeah normally that winter there'd be well, they'd be in excess of 20 young amateur athletes overseas competing both in the UK and the US and playing that series of of events from basically May through to late August, early September. And Louis Louis over there with Jed Morgan and going to compete at uh, Corn Ferry Q School. And that's why uh, that's why they got over there. But yeah, there's 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 20 odd players that just haven't had that opportunity to compete. And, and the hard thing for them is is that they're seeing players from other countries, be it the US, the UK, most of Europe, travelling and playing in these events. So they're sitting back here and a lot of times they can be training, but not being able to compete is what's really hurting them. Yeah, I feel really sorry for the the ones in Victoria in particular where you can't even get out on the course at the moment. Yeah, and and the high-performance athletes are just like any other golfers. They're just, they're just itching to get back out on the course and... And hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Well, uh, you know, got any general business, Maddie? Uh, I just wanted to mention quickly that uh, at one of the LPGA tournaments later in the year, the uh, I think it's NBC, the broadcaster is doing an all-female broadcasting crew. So they've got Judy Rankin, who we see as a regular caller. They've got Paige McKenzie as well, and Karen Stupples and Kay Cockrell out on the course, and they're going to do the event with all female staff including the producers and stuff like that that's that was quite interesting but no uh, no ali no ali Whitaker. well ali's uh ali's the most uh, the preeminent uh, commentator in the world uh female or male and uh, surprised she's not involved I, I don't know what they're thinking they they've missed the best one of the lot uh, well if she's uh, free that week maybe we can get her on the podcast uh that would be good anything else cuts before we wrap it up no, I enjoyed the uh, the chat with the three CEOs. It was uh, that was great to have them all on board together. It certainly was. Well, that's it for Inside the Ropes this week. Make sure you subscribe to the usual usual channels, and we'll be back here at the same time next week.